Welcome to United. Tonight we are going to talk about what African buffaloes can teach us about sex. What African buffaloes can teach us about sex. We're in week two of the sex series, and uh, if you missed week one or if you forgot because it's been a couple weeks, uh, we didn't meet last week because of Easter, um, here's kind of what we talked about the first week. We talked about how God created sex. Sex is good. The world has twisted sex into something that can be um, very, very bad or dangerous, but God, because he loves us, has given us guidelines to keep sex good, to keep sex where it's supposed to be and within the guidelines of how God created it to be. When Jesus came, he taught not about sex and not about virginity or, or, or whether you'd had sex on your wedding night or whatever. He didn't talk about any of that. He talked about another thing. He talked about the word lust. And he said that really lust is the issue. It's not the sex. It's not everything that comes with the sex. It's the lust that leads to all of those things. That's what we have to deal with. However, that's a lot easier said than done. It's easy to say, oh yeah, we got to deal with, uh, with our lust and we, we got to figure that whole thing out. But that's very difficult in practice. And so uh, we're going to look at something a little bit more practical tonight in order to put that into practice, in order to, to, to deal with the lust in our lives. And so we're going to look at a letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. So there's all these believers living in this big city called Corinth. And uh, he wrote a letter to them. And this city had a lot of cultures and a lot of uh, uh, different types of people and a lot of people traveling through it. And so it had many of the same issues we have today in 2019. And sometimes like we grow up and we think like, well, well, sex only kind of got like it is like now today or in the past 50 years, but it's always been that way. Like if you look up ancient history or hieroglyphics and all kinds of stuff, you can see there was all kinds of sex going on in the ancient world. And so all these people had decided to follow Jesus, but they, were, uh, they, they, they had, had lived a different way their entire life. They weren't necessarily Jewish people. They hadn't had a law. And so like they, they start following Jesus and then they're just kind of living the same way. And Paul's like, all right, there's some things you're gonna have to change if you're really following after Jesus especially in the area of sex. And so he writes this letter called Corinthians. In fact, he writes two letters, First and Second Corinthians. We're going to look at the first letter, um, chapter 6, starting in verse 12. And he's going to be really practical. He's going to start with some arguments that some people maybe had been telling him about sex, some things that people had come back with, and he's going to kind of dispel those arguments. So the first argument is this. I have the right to do anything which we hear a lot today, right? Like, I can do anything, it's my body, uh, like, I have the right to do what I want, we're in a free country. Uh, you may even hear some Christians say things like, well, I'm forgiven, so well, might as well do it. I can do whatever I want because God's gonna forgive me because uh, that's why Jesus died. And, and, and they were saying these kind of things to Paul, and Paul's like, well, <clears throat> that's not really the way it works. And uh, besides, not everything is beneficial. So, um, yeah, you can do it, sure, Go have sex with who you want. Go look at what you want. But it's not necessarily beneficial. It's not beneficial to be addicted to pornography. It's not beneficial to go around sleeping with whoever you want to. It's not beneficial to to give that intimacy to every single person that you're in a relationship or not in a relationship with. Like He's like, that's not beneficial. And then he repeats himself. He says, well, I have the right to do anything, they say. And then he says this, "But, but you shouldn't be mastered by anything. Here's something Paul knew about sex. He knew The sex is incredibly, incredibly addicting. And that sex is incredibly, incredibly tempting. Like, sex is not worse than any other other sin. And sometimes maybe you've grown up in, in, in churches where it's like, oh, well, sex is so much worse. It's not worse. It's just different. It's just tempting in a way that other sin's not. 
It, it draws you in in a, in a way that other sin does not. And, and it, it's just unique. And Paul understood this. And he said, you, you can't be mastered by anything. If you give in to sexual sin, if you give in to lust, you will be mastered by it very easily. And when you're a Christian, you are saying Jesus is Lord. Lord means master. You're saying Jesus is my master. And so he's saying, well, you can't be mastered by God and by sex. In fact, Jesus said that exact thing. He said, you can't serve two masters. And so Paul's saying, you don't want to be anything that you get mastered by is a bad thing. And sex it is very easy to master you. Then he continues with another excuse that the people might give him. He says this in verse 13. He says, you say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. So um, here's, here's what this means. This is essentially an excuse that the people would say, to something to the effect of like, sex is just like eating. You're hungry, you have a stomach, it needs food, and so you eat. Same thing, you have a body, you want somebody, so you have sex, and you fulfill that need. Well, first of all, it's not, it's not a physical need. You can not have sex your whole life. Plenty of people have done it, and you will not die. You do not need it like you need water, food, air. Also, also, Paul understood something, and, and there's something about sex that, that is different than eating. Paul understood, well, sex is totally different than eating. Your, your, your food, that's just a physical thing. Like, like it goes in you, it goes out of you, it, it, it kind of gives you nutrients, and that's it. Like it really is a physical thing. It doesn't affect your mind, doesn't affect your soul, all that kind of stuff. But sex will do all those things. Sex will affect you relationally, it'll affect you socially, it'll affect you emotionally, it'll affect your soul. Um, Sex will do things to you biologically that you cannot control. You may have had sex a ton of times. You may say, oh, it's nothing to me, no big deal, but it's still affecting your body. It's still affecting the relationships and the way you look at the people around you that you have sex with. And so he's saying it's more than physical. Sex is more than just physical. And then he's going to kind of tell us how it's different. He says, the body is not meant for sex like the stomach's meant for food. He's saying the body is meant for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, and he will raise us also. And he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So when we give our lives over to Christ, when we say, I want to follow after Jesus, our, our, our bodies are becoming one with God. The, body, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. He says, shall I then take the member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? We, we could say it this way. Shall I then take a member of Christ and unite it with pornography? Unite it with some random person? Unite it with my boyfriend or girlfriend? And to that, some of you might say, well, they're my boyfriend or girlfriend. That's different. But here's the thing. God gave us sex for a committed relationship. And no matter how great you think your relationship is, if you're dating, if you're not married, you're not committed. Because here's what can happen. Anytime either person wants to, they could just walk away and it's over. There, there, there really is no commitment. There might have been commitment yesterday or commitment last year, but there's not commitment once someone says, uh, I'm done. The Bible says that, that marriage is true commitment. Till death to us part. It is something that is far more intimate and, and committed than just a dating relationship. And so Paul's saying, man, you don't just you unite yourself with any person, even a boyfriend or girlfriend. You save that for someone who you are totally committed to. He continues in verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, or again, with any other sexual sin, is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. We read about that a couple weeks ago in Genesis. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him 
in spirit. And then the next part is where Paul's going to get super practical, and it's very applicable, and it's something all of us can understand. It's very simple, and here is what it is. He says this, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Everybody say flee. Everybody say flee. What does flee mean? Run away. Paul says you should run from sexual sin. So when it comes to sexual sin, you don't stand firm. You don't stand up to it. You don't try to fight back. You run away. As I was thinking about that idea of not trying to fight back but but trying to run away, I thought about stuff I've seen on like National Geographic and and, and BBC and at the zoo and all that kind of stuff uh, about predators and prey. And and I thought about um, the fact that I've never seen a, a zebra, a buffalo, a gazelle walk up to a lion and kind of just nudge them while they're sleeping and be like, hey, man, what's up? You don't see that. As soon as a lion gets anywhere near any of these herds of animals, they flee. They run. Why? Because they know they cannot defeat a lion. They know that they have no chance if the lion gets to them. And so they run away. And Paul's saying, hey, you, you, shouldn't, you can fight a lot of things, but don't try to fight sexual sin. It is too tempting. It is too powerful. You will not win. At least you will not win consistently. And so you need to run away. You need to get away. But the issue is a lot of times we don't flee, we flirt. Instead of running away, we kind of kind of edge our way towards it. And why do we do this? Because sex is tempting. Because uh, biologically, uh, we, 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 are, we want it. And we, 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 we want those feelings. And we want uh, that, that person or that experience. And, and, and so we flirt with it. And it tempts us. And... and it would just be ridiculous if you ever watched like a nature show and you saw a, a, a prey flirting or getting near a predator. And yet we do it all the time. And here are some ways that we flirt instead of flee. Maybe it's something as simple as who you follow on social media or who you're friends with on social media. And, and you know what they post. You know the pictures and the videos. You know the things they say. You, you see, you follow certain accounts and you know the, the type of stories or, or links that they post. And, uh, and you know that that stuff is going to lead you towards lust. And yet so often we just keep on doing it. We just keep on flirting. There was this website when I was in uh, college that uh, was a sports website, like, like, a, like a big sports magazine. But, but over in the side, they had certain uh, advertisements and articles and stuff that had a, a sexual connotation. And I realized over time that that tempted me. Sure, it was just like an NBA article or an NFL article, no big deal. And yet, something about the website was pulling me towards sexual sin. And so even though it wasn't a bad website, I had to stop going on that website because I knew it was a trigger point. I knew it was a way that I was flirting with sexual sin. Maybe it's where you keep your computer or your phone. And you say, well, well, I, I, can, I, can, I can keep my phone in my bed at night. I can keep my, 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 my computer in my room at night behind closed doors, all that kind of stuff, and I'm fine. But maybe for you, you're not fine. Maybe that is a way that you're flirting with sexual sin instead of fleeing. That you should not have that alone behind a locked door. Maybe maybe that just shouldn't happen for you. And if you do it, you're flirting. Maybe it's uh, where you hang out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you know uh, we really can't be alone. We shouldn't be alone. I shouldn't be in their room. We shouldn't be in a car together. It shouldn't be uh, late at night and we're together and no one else is around. And 
And when you do that, it's not necessarily wrong. You're just flirting instead of fleeing. Maybe it's how far you're willing to go in that relationship. And you're like, ah, you know, I'll just, uh, we'll just do this. We'll just do that. But what you're doing is you're flirting with the line. You're flirting with sexual sin. You're not fleeing from it. Now, again, let me tell you, there are some ways that we flirt that are not sin. They're not bad. There's nothing wrong with them. In fact, if some people heard that you didn't do it, they'd be like, what are you crazy? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being there or seeing that or whatever. However, the simple truth is you're still flirting. You're still not getting away and running away from the sexual sin. You're kind of getting close to it. So it may not be wrong, but it's not wise. So the question for you is, how am I flirting with sexual sin? And maybe that's something you think about during our last couple songs or in a quiet time later this week, but, but that's something you need to answer, and it's different for all of us. It's different for guys, girls, middle schoolers, high schoolers. It's different whether you live uh, with one parent or two parents or siblings or, or whatever. Like, everybody's in a different stage. Everybody has different triggers. Everybody has different things that tempt us. And so we've got to realize what, what ways we flirt with sexual sin. Now let me finish off what, what Paul says about sex in this section. He, he continues, he says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Here's what he's saying. It's just different than other sin. It's not worse. It, it's not some kind of special sin that sends you to hell. No, 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 no. It's all covered under the, the, the cross, but, but it's just different. It, it affects us differently. It stays with us in a different way. He continues in verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. You are a temple. Do you not know that? The Holy Spirit's in you, and you have received him from God. So then you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. In other words, Paul is saying, because the Holy Spirit's in you, because Jesus has given his life for you, we honor God with our bodies. We literally honor God with our body because God gave his body up for us. And so I want to return to that, that idea of fleeing because it's so practical and it's so useful, but so many times we don't know how to actually flee because this is what we think. We think, okay, um, when a sexual situation comes about, I'll flee. I see it coming. I will run. Well, to go back to our, our friends, the, the African buffaloes, if they wait until a lion is in sight, they're probably going to die. If they wait until they see the lion jumping out of the tall grass or jumping out behind a, a tree, they are probably going to die. At that point, it's too late. And if you wait until sexual sin is right in front of you, it's probably too late. Can you get out of it sometimes? Yeah. But 99.9% .9 of the time, you are going to give in because you have already lost the battle. You got too close and you were too tempted and you were not strong enough to actually flee. And so the number one way to flee is not to just say, when sex comes, I'll run away. The number one way to flee is to set boundaries. It's to set boundaries around our life in a way that we will be protected from sexual sin, that we will be insulated, that there is a long distance between us and it. So now I want to talk about what African buffaloes can teach us, four things they can teach us about drawing boundaries and, and, and staying away or fleeing from sexual sin. Here's the first thing. They teach us to stay alert. Buffaloes sleep for two hours a day. Lions sleep for 20 hours a day. 
And we, you know, we watch Lion King and they're running around playing with birds and having a good time and singing songs. But really all they do is sleep. They're, they're slobs. They're, they're boring lives. They just sleep, especially the men. They don't do anything. The girls go do all the work, sisters. And, uh, and the guys are just like, uh, you know, just go get me food and uh, we'll just make babies and all that kind of stuff. So that's all that the, the male lions do. They sleep 20 hours a day. The buffaloes don't have that luxury. They sleep two hours a day. Why? Because they have to stay alert. They have to watch for um, predators. They have to watch for, for things coming to get them. In fact, they don't even sleep for two hours at a time. They sleep for five, six minutes at a time. And they just go in and out of sleep throughout the day. Why do they do this? Because they need to stay alert. And we have to stay alert. When we're fleeing from sexual sin, we have to stay alert to what is going to tempt us, to what situations are coming, to what people are around us, to what situations are, are, are coming about. And, and we've got to look at those and we've got to say, Mm. I know what happens when I go to that place. I know what happens when I hang out with that person. I know what happens when I feel this way. And I have got to be alert to the sexual sin. The second thing that we learn from buffaloes is to notice temptation before it gets to you. Notice temptation before it gets to you. Buffaloes have a, a great sense of smell. They smell lions before they see them. And here's why that helps them. Because when they get a whiff of a lion, they can run. They, they cannot even let it get within visual distance. They run when they smell. And how does this help them? They're able to get away. They're not letting the lions get close. <clears throat> We've got to be able to notice temptation before it gets to us. If you wait until you're naked with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, sorry, probably not going to happen for you. You're probably going to give in. You've got to avoid that temptation. You've got to stay away from that temptation. And so we draw boundaries. We set boundaries. We've got to know where are we tempted? When are we tempted? What's going on around us when we are tempted? Here's the third thing that, that, that uh, buffaloes do and teach us. is to get accountability. Get accountability. Accountability is simply when someone holds you accountable, when someone you know is helping you live the way you want to live or do what you want to do. So if you want to stay away from sexual sin, you've got to have somebody holding you <clears throat> accountable. So buffaloes live in herds. Here's what happens when you're in a herd. You've got hundreds of eyes and hundreds of noses and hundreds of ears listening, smelling, seeing the danger around them. And then they're able to communicate. They're able to tell each other where to go, what to do. There are times where, where they actually do get attacked and, and multiple buffalo will come and, and attack a lion together to drive it away to save someone and their family or in their herd. A herd can, 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 can do things together they can't do alone. You're safer in a group. Sometimes you won't be attacked by lions if you're in a big herd. And, and, and sometimes because there's so many, they don't catch any. Or if they do catch some, you have better chances than if you're by yourself. In fact, the ones that get killed usually are the male, the dominant buffalo that uh, were, were driven out of a herd and are now alone. And it's just a matter of time before they get killed, picked off by a lion because they have no one around them. They fall asleep, they're getting a drink of water, and they're gone because they don't have a herd. And, and it's even more than that. There are these birds that sit on top of the buffalo. You've seen them before, right? They just like walk, ride around on, on, on the buffalo. And um, they like eat like ticks and, and bugs off the buffalo. And here's what they, they, they get food from the buffalo, but here's what they give the buffalo. When lions are coming, the birds know first and they fly away. And the buffalo know, oh, oh, something's about to happen. We need to be aware. That, that's a form of accountability. There are some people in your life that can help hold you accountable. It's not your friend in first period that shows you porn videos. 
It's not the guy who sends you pictures of girls that he hooked up with. It's not the guy who, 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 who shares stories. It may not even be the person that's, uh, that, that you're dating because they're trying to do something that maybe you don't want to do. You need to get accountability from people who are following Jesus that are trying to stay away from sexual sin the same way you are. You've got to pick the right people because accountability is worthless if you're going to the wrong person. You've got to go to the right people for accountability. Here's the fourth thing that, uh, that, that Buffalo teach us. Don't go to places where sexual sin can get you. Here's something that buffalo do that's pretty cool. Uh, they know that lions don't like to swim and don't like to go near water and don't like to, to swim out to them and try to attack them. And so they realize if we're in water, we're safe. If we're in a river, if we're in a lake, if we travel down a river and or way down the side of the river, we will be safer than if we are just on land because the lions don't want to come and get us. And so we've got to go to places where sexual sin cannot get us. I'm going to ask you maybe an obvious question, but, but it'll prove my point. When was the last time you were at a restaurant, fast food restaurant, you're getting pizza, you're at Angie's Subs, and uh, you looked over to the side and there was just someone having sex on a table next to you? Ever happen? It's against the law, first of all. But it just doesn't happen. People don't have sex in public generally. And if they do, then that's a separate um, sermon. They need some, some major boundaries. But people don't have sex in public. And so if you will stay in public places with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you might be protected from some things that you will not be protected from if you're alone. See, Buffalo realized we got to be in the water. Maybe you need to realize I need to stay in public with my technology and my phone and my computer. I need to stay in public with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I can't go into private places. I can't be in my room at night with a computer. I can't be alone in my house with my boyfriend or girlfriend or alone in my car when it's dark and no one can see us. I can't handle that. Sexual sin can get to me. And so I've got to stay out of those places. And I've got to put myself in places where sexual sin cannot get me. And here's the great thing about boundaries. The stronger your boundaries, the stronger your boundaries, the safer you are. The stronger your boundaries, the safer you are. If you're at the Grand Canyon and you're looking down at the beauty, you don't go and stand on the ledge with your like toes hanging off the ledge and you're seeing rocks going down a thousand feet. Because you may be safe right there, but what if someone startles you? What if someone bumps into you? What if you drop your phone and you're lunging for it? What if you sneeze? What if you faint? Whatever. You're dead. Here's the smarter thing to do. Back up. Draw your boundaries back here. Then if you fall, maybe you get the scare of your life because you, you, you fall down and your eyes are looking over a canyon or looking at this crazy drop. And you're like, oh my gosh. And your heart may be beaten, but then it ends up just being a good story because you didn't actually get hurt. It's not a good story when you get hurt. It's a good story when you don't get hurt. And you don't get hurt when you draw strong boundaries, when you're backing away from the ledge. So some ways uh, we, could, we could talk about boundaries. Let's talk about it in the, in the place uh, of pornography. If you struggle with pornography or with the temptation to look at certain things and images and, 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 uh, and videos on your computer, you've got to realize maybe you can't own a smartphone. Maybe you need a phone that has no internet access. Maybe you need some kind of software on your phone or, or some kind of, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, like some kind of password that, that stops you from going to certain websites. Maybe you need to say, I'm going to give my phone and my computer to my parents at 9 o'clock each night before I, I go to my room. And you say, that's crazy. I would never tell my parents. Well, then keep being addicted to pornography. But if you want to get out of addiction to pornography, you've got to actually take some steps. You've got to actually be willing to take some steps that you wouldn't naturally take on your own. 
You've, you've got to be able, uh, willing to draw the line. Maybe, and this is going to sound like, oh, that's so conservative, but maybe there's certain shows you can't watch. Maybe you don't need to watch Game of Thrones tonight because you can't handle it. Not because of the show, but because of what the show gets in your mind. And then later you go to your room and you, and you look at something else because it's pulling you towards sexual sin, not fleeing away. And so you need to draw boundaries around your life to protect yourself from pornography. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you need to just say, I will never be alone with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I will never be in a place where there's not other people with me. Because I know when I'm with her parents, my parents, I know when I'm with my friends or I'm in a public place that I'm safe. But as soon as we get alone, we might be in danger. And we've got to draw some boundaries. Maybe you draw your boundaries way, way back here. Maybe you say, man, I don't think, like, I don't even think we can kiss because I don't know where that'll take us. And it's not saying bad, kissing's bad. It's just saying, hey, that's for you maybe where you need to draw your boundaries. When I was in relationships, um, I drew my boundary before marriage as nothing past making out. And a lot of people would say, man, that's ridiculous. Like, come on, like you can't do a little something, something with your hands, all that kind of stuff. Like, and, and, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that works for some people. But first of all, sex is sex. And second of all, that is pulling you in to sexual sin. And so you've got you've to you've ask yourself, where do I want to draw the boundary? So that maybe if I trip up and I fall across it, I, I didn't go where I didn't want to go because I was way back here. Does that make sense? Like you don't wanna draw your boundaries right here because if you mess up a little bit, you're in a place you don't wanna be. You wanna draw your boundaries so far away from danger. So when you mess up, it's really not that big of a deal. You're like, oh, whew, that, was, that, that was scary, but, but I'm all right. And, and so we've gotta realize that, that the way we draw our boundaries keeps us safe or not safe. And one more thing about relationships because sometimes people will be like, well, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Well, we've been going out for a long time. Well, we love each other, all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. Lust, lust is about you. Love is about them. Jesus talked about one kind of love, and that's agape love. That's a sacrificial, self-giving love, a love that is more about the other person than about you. Lust always wants to get what you want to get. Lust wants a certain feeling or a certain pleasure or a certain experience for yourself. Love worries about the other person. Love worries about their future, even if they're not worried about it. Love worries about their future Marriage, their future, hopes and dreams, what, what they want to come out of their life. And love says, hey, I'm going to protect not just me, but I'm going to protect the other person in the relationship. Why? Because I want to love and not lust. And so we've got to realize that even, even if we feel like, oh, man, like we are meant to be together, that love is patient. Love will wait Love will draw boundaries. Love will protect. And lust is the thing that just, I'm gonna go get what I wanna get. And to be honest, like sex doesn't work when you're selfish. Like we're biologically designed that we have got to be love first and not lust first. That we've gotta be about the other person and not selfish. That's how God created it. And so we've gotta realize that boundaries actually show love. If you love the other person, you will draw boundaries. And if you ever have a question about where my boundaries should be, you need to pray and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. We talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. And, and sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of like, oh, well, I'll pay attention to the Holy Spirit when, uh, when, uh, like I'm, I'm trying to share Jesus with my friend or when I'm, when I'm, when I'm praying or in worship, but we need to listen to the Holy Spirit in every area. 
Maybe you need to go to the Holy Spirit and ask, how do you want me to draw boundaries in my life for me? Because it's different for you than your best friend. It's different for you than, than your brother or your sister. It's different for you than anybody else. And your boundaries may be different today than they were two years ago or where they'll be in three years. But we've got to constantly go to God and say, hey, where do you want me to draw the boundaries? And the Holy Spirit will guide us if we will ask and if we will actually listen and put it into action. Last thing I want to look at is Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Because we can't just run away from sex. Like, like sometimes people think like the whole Jesus thing is just like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Okay, you're good. But Jesus, Jesus said a lot, of, a lot of things about what we should do, not just what we should not do. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another. A lot of one another's in there. And so we, we can't just say, hey, don't, don't, don't have sex. Don't, don't flee from sexual sin. Just run away. Because the thing that happens is that if you run away from one thing, you're just going to replace it with something else. Like anybody that's ever been addicted to a substance, a, a lot of times if they run away from one thing, they'll just replace it with something else. An activity, a substance. Sometimes those things are good. Sometimes those things are bad. But, but we, we always replace with something else. And so we don't just flee from sexual sin. We shouldn't just flee from sexual sin. We need to know what to run to. So as you flee from sexual sin, pursue purity. As you flee from sexual sin, pursue purity. Pursue Christ. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. So he talks about hearts and minds. Set your hearts and your minds on the things above not on earthly things. So he's saying, as you run from sexual sin, run to purity, run to Jesus. There's another scripture in the New Testament that says, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, these are the things you should focus on. And so it's not just what we run from, it's what we run to. We need to always pursue purity. And I kind of inferred this last week or talked about it two weeks ago, but you could be a virgin and not be pursuing purity. Because again, virginity is not the goal. Purity is the goal. Also, you could have had sex a bunch of times, but today be pursuing purity in the way that you're, 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 you're organizing your life and setting up boundaries and all that kind of stuff. And so we've got to realize that guys, girls, middle schoolers, high schoolers, married, single, dating, we've all got to run from sexual sin, flee from sexual sin, but also be constantly pursuing purity, constantly pursuing Jesus. And Jesus, man, Jesus was so kind when sexual sin was involved. Like, do we remember, like, like the way that he treats the woman that gets thrown in front of him, probably naked? They said, hey, she was caught in adultery. That whole town's looking ready to throw stones at her and kill her. Not only did he get everybody to go away, but then she says, well, what about you? He was the one person that could have stoned her. And he says, well, I'm not gonna condemn you either. Go and sin no more. In other words, go and pursue purity. Go and do something different. So I wanna encourage each of us, don't just run from sin. This isn't just sin management and fixing ourselves. We also need to run to Jesus. 